We turn now in Scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, picking up where we left off last time. With verses 19 through 23, we'll be reading this morning. So again, I call your attention to the fact that this is God's holy word, inspired by him and therefore without error as he gave it to the Apostle Paul. So let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time, and let's uh, briefly pray. Lord, we pray now that you would enlighten us by your word, help us to understand it and apply it well to our lives, and therefore we pray that you will use this sermon to grow us up after the image of Christ, that we might be his increasingly faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since chapter 8 of this letter, Paul has been writing about the matter of liberty of conscience. Many of the things that we've been seeing in recent weeks have been his his uh, teaching in regard to that. It's been his aim particularly to come back to that point or to underscore that point. Uh, Christians should always be motivated by the gospel and by love for their brothers and sisters uh, when deciding whether or not to do something that they're free to do. Uh, Paul says he will not exercise his liberty without first considering the gospel and the well-being of his fellow believers. In chapter 8, verse 13, he said, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In chapter 9 thus far, he's offered the example uh, particularly of payment, also of his liberty to be married, but he spent a lot of time, a lot of time on the issue of whether or not he was paid. Uh, Paul had not only the freedom, but the right to be paid for his labors in the gospel, but he has chosen to forego that right for the sake of getting the gospel to as many people as possible. In today's passage, he further explains that he's willing to make many concessions to uh, bend over backwards, so to speak, uh, to get the gospel to as many people as he can. He won't make concessions when it has to do with obeying God's commandments, but he will make concessions about personal preferences. Remember, while we know that God has his elect, whom he has chosen from before the foundation of the world, you and I have no idea who among the as yet unsaved would be elect or not. God hasn't shown us the list from his book of life. The job of the evangelist, 
and really the evangelistic job of the whole church with the Great Commission, is to get the gospel to as many people as possible. As I've frequently pointed out, the image Christ offers in the parable of the sower, which we find in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23, and also in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, and in Luke 8, verses 4 through 15, the image Jesus offers in that parable is of someone scattering the seed indiscriminately. They're scattering the seed, which is the word of God, which is the gospel, everywhere. You and I don't know where the fertile ground is. You know, this uh, sower in that parable, as I mentioned in Sabbath school this morning, is not a very responsible farmer. Right? Those, those among us who farm know that you plant in particular places, right? You, you don't just scatter the seed everywhere. In Jesus' day, they would have plowed the ground first and then carefully dropped the seeds in the furrows. But the, the sower in the, in the uh, parable is throwing seed everywhere. So some of it's landing on the path and being trodden underfoot, and some of it, and being eaten by birds, and some of it's uh, being, uh, landing among stony ground and beginning to take root, but can't take a deep root, so it, it dies, it withers. Some of it lands among thorns and is choked out, and then some of it lands on fertile ground, and it grows up and yields fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. You and I don't know where that fertile ground is, like that sower. It seems like the sower is blindfolded. Right? So, scatter the seed of the gospel as far and wide as you possibly can. In order to do this, Paul is willing to make many accommodations to the cultures and to the preferences and the understanding of others. He's willing to sacrifice his own comfort and his own preferences for the sake of the gospel. In today's passage, therefore, we see the main point is the gospel ministry is of greatest importance. Because that's true... Paul gives the example of making personal accommodations for the sake of getting the gospel to as many people as possible. His examples and lessons in this passage, uh, I'll just give them in the order they appear. One, accommodating to Jewish culture. Secondly, accommodating to Gentile culture. And then third, he, he says in the midst of that, such accommodation must always be under God's moral law. You know, we don't accommodate to sin. But fourth, then, accommodating to the weak, he mentions. So let's begin with the main lesson. The gospel ministry is of greatest importance. And we find that this is one, as we were talking about in the Sabbath school this morning, this is one of, of two pillars the church stands on, so to speak, or two, a two-pronged task that God has given the church. One is getting the gospel to as many people as possible. The other then is nurturing the people who believe in their faith. But this gospel ministry, when we're enacting, when we're engaging with the world, the gospel ministry is of the greatest importance. We find that in the latter part of verse 22 through verse 23, where Paul says, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. For the gospel's sake... Paul is willing to become all things, he says, to all men. Now, as we usually need to do when we encounter the word all in the New Testament, we need to to deal with with what that Greek word all actually means in the context. Uh, Paul literally writes here, to all I have become all things. 
Of course, that first all there we understand from context, he means all people, and so that's why it's usually translated as all men, or all humans, all, all people. Um, he isn't becoming all things to all the giraffes, right, and to all the elephants, things like that. So uh, we can tell from context, he's talking about uh, becoming all things to all people. But as we've seen at other times in Greek, the word all uh, has different nuances, different meanings, depending on the context. And clearly when Paul says that he's become all things, he doesn't mean that in a, a wildly broad sense, right? He's, he hasn't become a drunkard to be able to reach drunkards, right? He, he didn't miraculously change himself into a baboon so that he could get into the menagerie of, of the emperor and get the gospel into the emperor's palace. So, so we have to be restrained in what we understand he means by all things here. But all things means all manner of things. Paul is willing to become lots of different things to get the gospel to as many people as he can. He is a partaker of God's grace, of the gospel benefits, and he wants other people to be partakers of that gospel and its benefits as well. He made sacrifices in regard to his own comfort, in regard to his own preferences, in order that the Corinthians themselves might be partakers of that same gospel grace and its benefits. And he no more than you or I could know who was elect. He did have a little bit of a benefit as we read in the book of Acts that Jesus actually spoke to him and said, I have many people in that city before he went to Corinth. So he at least knew that if he preached the gospel there, somebody would believe. But no more than you or I did he know what was in each person's heart that he preached the gospel to until they bore the fruit of repentance and faith. So he put aside his own preferences, his own sense of comfort to get the gospel to as many people as he possibly could. That, he says, I might by all means, that is by all manner of tactics that are available to him without sinning, save some. I will use all possible means just to save some. So what does he mean when he says that he's become all manner of things to all kinds of people? That statement is the culmination of several examples that he's given, that he's offered in the previous verses, beginning with his statement in verse 19, where he said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Paul is free in Christ in regard to the consciences and preferences of others. We've seen that before. He's bound by God's word alone. But he voluntarily gives up that freedom when it's useful to get the gospel to more people. He offers three examples and a lesson or clarification along the way of how he does this. So, now, these are going to be our four subpoints here this morning. We'll take them in the order that Paul presents them. Number one, he accommodated to Jewish culture. Verse 20, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews, to those who were, who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. Now, of course, we might read that and think, oh, that's funny, I thought Paul already was a Jew. 
But of course, remember, under the gospel, he's free from the Old Testament ceremonial laws and that sort of thing. His, as he reminds us in Philippians 3.5, he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was born and raised a Jew. He participated openly and willingly in the Jewish culture his whole life. Moreover, he was, as he says, concerning the law of Pharisee. He was a stickler for the law, particularly as it was presented by the traditions of the elders. He was a strict observer. He thought he was following God's law to the T. But as he teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ he is now a new creation. And in Christ there is no longer division between the Jew and the Gentile. As he says in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, that Christ has broken down this wall of separation. And he actually uses the term there that was for the wall of separation that kept Gentiles from going beyond a certain point into the temple grounds. He says this barrier, this wall of separation has been broken down in Christ. And he's made, God has made in Christ, one people of those who were far off, Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews. And so he says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The things that, that separate us in an earthly sense, the distinctions between us in an earthly sense, do not keep us from being one in Christ Jesus. Or in Colossians 3.11, he similarly says, there is neither Greek nor nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul was free from the ceremonies and Jewish customs that he had grown up with. But when it was helpful for the advancement of the gospel, he accommodated to Jewish culture. As long as it didn't make him undermine the gospel, as long as it it didn't Uh, cause him to sin in some way. Think about Acts chapter 16 and verse 3. We're told by Luke that he circumcised Timothy because of the Jews. He spends a lot of time in his letters telling us that circumcision is not necessary. So why in the world did he circumcise Timothy? Well, since Timothy was a son of a Jewish mother, he'd been raised on the scriptures. The only thing that kept him from accompanying Paul into the synagogues, assisting him in the preaching in the synagogues, or more generally from being taken seriously by Jews and being able to go into their homes and having meals and things with them, was the fact that he was uncircumcised. And so he underwent that painful procedure in order to be able to bring the gospel to more people. And Paul was in favor of that. Indeed, Paul, Luke tells us, performed the procedure In Acts 18.18, Luke tells us that Paul had taken and kept a Nazarite vow. That was an Old Testament practice. Paul wasn't under any obligation. In fact, even in the Old Testament, no one was under any obligation unless the Lord, on some rare occasion, said, this person will be a Nazarite. Usually it was a voluntary situation, whereby for a period of time, the person did not drink any alcohol, touch any dead animal or person, or cut his hair, and this was a sign of a special service to the Lord. And so Paul gave this special sign of some service to the Lord. We don't even know what it was that he did. We just know that he, after he left Corinth, cut his hair at Cancrea because he had taken a vow. 
So we know that he had had this Nazarite vow. We didn't have to do that. But it was a sign of his service to God that Jews would take seriously. And so that would have been useful to him in ministering to Jews. And thus it helped him reach more Jews with the gospel. He may have had other reasons for doing it as well. But it certainly would have helped. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, he even helped other Jews fulfill the Nazarite vows that they had taken, as Luke records in Acts 21, verses 23 through 26. So he was free to accommodate to Jewish culture. He was free from the Old Testament ceremonial laws himself, but when keeping some Old Testament practices did not undermine the gospel, He had absolutely no problem with accommodating to the preferences of Jews in order to bring the gospel to them. So he accommodated to Jewish culture. Secondly, he accommodated to Gentile culture. That's in verse 21. To those who are without law, or that is outside of the law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. So in a Jewish home, Paul would eat only kosher foods, right? And observe Jewish customs. But in a Gentile home, it would have been fine for him to eat food that wasn't kosher. I wonder what it was like the first time Paul tasted bacon. (laughs) I don't know if he ever actually did, but I hope he got to have that wonder. Those without law of of course, refers to Gentiles who who did not have the law of Moses. So he became as such a person, he said, in order to bring the gospel more easily to people who were not under those obligations. I might mention that the verb translated there, win, throughout this passage, is probably better uh, rendered as gain. It's not as if Paul is winning people in the sense of engaging in a contest so as uh, to, if he can win the argument, then they would be persuaded. There is a persuasiveness to the gospel. Again, this was something we were seeing in Sabbath school this morning. And we are to use all biblical means uh, to call people to, to exhort them to repent and trust in Christ, to be reconciled to God, implore them, as Paul says, to be reconciled to God. But this is, is not really saying that he wins some contest and then they're won to Christ, but rather he, by preaching the gospel, God is using that to gain his elect to Christ. Gaining people to the visible church. Just as Jesus tells Peter in Acts 10, 13 and 15 that he is free from Old Testament ceremonial laws in order that he might take the gospel to Gentiles, but Paul knew that he also had that same freedom in Christ. And so he could and did engage in Gentile culture in order to carry the gospel to Gentiles. This is a good lesson for missionaries who are going into cultures that are unfamiliar to them. Yes, there will be aspects of that culture that are anti-God, that are sinful. Every human culture is made up of human beings who are sinners, and so there are going to be sinful aspects to our cultures. But there are plenty of things that we're used to. This is one of the challenges of being a missionary, is figuring out which things are seem right to me just because I'm used to them, 
and which things are right according to God's word, and then vice versa, which things are not right according to God's word. And so then, uh, then we have to wrestle with that and figure out where, where, where are things that I can accommodate to? How can I accommodate without sinning to this particular culture so that I can get the gospel to as many people as possible? Paul knew he didn't need to observe the Old Testament liturgical calendar or practice ceremonial cleansings or circumcise people or avoid certain foods that are forbidden in the Old Testament. He could do those things in order to get the gospel to as many Gentiles as possible. Now you'll notice though he says this with an important caveat. And that's the third sub-point for us here. So yes, he, he did become as without the law to those who were without the law. But, number three, such accommodation must always be under God's moral law. One must never accommodate to sin. As I said earlier, obviously Paul doesn't mean that he became a drunkard to be able to preach to drunkards. The middle of of verse 21, he says, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. So there's kind of a double meaning to that. For one thing, being under law toward Christ means he's been given this task from Christ and he'd better fulfill it. But he's also saying he's not without law toward God. I still have to obey God's moral law. Becoming as a Gentile who was without law in regard to the Old Testament ceremonies did not mean Paul had no obligation to obedience to God's moral law. As the commentator D.A. Carson wrote many years ago, there is a rigid limit to Paul's flexibility as he seeks to win the lost from different cultures, from different cultural and religious groups. He must not do anything that is forbidden to the Christian, and he must do everything mandated of the Christian. The Old Testament ceremonies were fulfilled in Christ. They were types and shadows of him. And since we have what they pointed to, we're not bound by those Old Testament ceremonies. And indeed, as Paul tells us in Colossians and elsewhere, there are ways in which we, if we keep ourselves bound under them, we're actually undermining the gospel. Their purpose is fulfilled. But on the other hand, God's moral laws reflect his eternal character. And God's eternal character is eternal. It doesn't change. Uh, no one is free from that law. That which is summarized in the Ten Commandments, and we further reduce to the statements, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now that law is universal and eternal. It doesn't change. It has been and always will be wrong to steal or murder. And it has been and always will be good to keep the Sabbath and honor your father and your mother. So Paul is free to engage in Jewish culture, but not to require the Old Testament ceremonial law as binding on believers. He's free to engage in Gentile culture, but not to worship idols. Accommodating to the practices of a culture to get the gospel to more people is good and wise except when such practices would force you to violate God's law. So this is always done, always with the caveat of understanding 
We must not violate God's moral law. Number four, then, Paul accommodates also, he says, to the weak. The first part of verse 22. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. Remember in chapter 8 he wrote of those who were weak. Those whose consciences were wounded by any seeming contact with their former idolatry. And he taught that the one who has greater knowledge in that situation, who knows that the idol is nothing, the one who has greater knowledge of his liberty, should be willing to give up that liberty for the sake of those whose consciences were wounded when they ate the meat from the animals that were sacrificed to the idols. So rather than assert his liberty, he said he would accommodate to the preferences of those with weaker consciences. Paul was willing to become all manner of things to all manner of people, Jew, Gentile, weak, in order to get the gospel to as many people as possible. The gospel ministry is of the greatest importance in our engagement with the world. Do you live as if that's true? Get it to as many people as you can. Be willing to be uncomfortable. When I reflect on missed opportunities to share the gospel with other people, I realize usually it was because I didn't want to deal with the discomfort that could come from sharing the gospel with a person in that context. Make accommodations to others' preferences as long as it doesn't force you to sin. You never accommodate to sin, but be willing to accommodate to the preferences of others so as to get the gospel to them. So, for example, we don't accommodate worship to those who are, do not know the Lord to get more people in the doors, something like that. We, we want to obey God in that. But if you know, someone is in your home as a guest, you make certain concessions for their comfort and well-being. You have lines you won't cross. So for us as the church, the lines have to be God's moral law. We're not going to cross those, but, but you give up a certain amount of your comfort and your preferences so as to accommodate the guest in your house. So think of it like that when you're sharing the gospel with others. You'll put up with certain things that aren't your preference, but as long as you're not sinning, put up with them for the sake of the gospel. Do that for the gospel's sake. Be ready to be all things to all people. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be ready to accommodate to others, to be even uncomfortable, to give up preferences so that we can get the gospel to more people. Help us to discern the difference between your commandments and our preferences, that obeying you in all things, we might accommodate to others without accommodating to sin. So give us that wisdom to be able to handle those things well, but also give us the strength, the fortitude, to be able to lay aside our own preferences, that more people might hear your words spoken by us, and that we can thus fulfill the great commission that Christ has given to the church, that we would go into all of the nations, preach the gospel to every creature under heaven,
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.